have a couple things to talk about, some exciting announcements here. But first, I was at Waypoint Wednesday night, really good time listening to Matt Chandler and our study groups too, uh, our discussion groups. Those are good. So I challenge you guys to come out and check it out. Only takes an hour on a Wednesday night, and, uh, and it was a really good discussion time. So check that out. I actually won't be there this Wednesday, so don't call me out just because I asked you to come. But you're laughing at me. Okay, so two cool things. Tomorrow night, I want you to go Wednesday night. Tomorrow night, see, Heather came to me a few weeks ago. Is Heather in here? No. Heather came to me a few weeks ago and said, the Breaking Free studies for the, for the women are going to be coming to a conclusion. It would be really fun to do a Creekside Live to, like, kick it out with some worship and praise. And so what we talked about is taking it outside and actually using this beautiful area out there. So we're going to do our first Creekside Live campfire tomorrow night, which should be really cool. I, I challenge all of you guys to come, invite friends. We're going to go out, sing some, some newer songs, and then we're going to sing some songs you really know well so we can all sing together around the campfire, and then we're going to have some good snacks. So I also invited the reserve. So if they'll walk over there, over here, that would be cool. Um, but as many people as we can get out, out there would be fun. Bring your own chairs, B-Y-O-C, bring your own chairs. Uh, and... B-Y-O-B, bring your own bug spray. B-S. Oh, wait. Um, just bring bug spray tomorrow night. Uh, but it should be a really good time, and we're excited. You know, these are the things, and Nick's going to talk about this. Church is, um, church is more than just Sunday mornings. It's, it's good to spend time as family and, and to bring other people into family. And so that's a, that's, that's a good part of what we're trying to do tomorrow night is just just to come together as family, sing around the campfire. It's a really summery type thing to do that we've never really done together. So uh, I challenge you guys to come tomorrow night. Now, a really exciting, something I'm really excited about. The song we just sang, we didn't do it justice, but it, it comes from a band that is one of my new favorite bands. They're called I Am They. We, we sang one of their songs last week. We've been doing a lot more of their music. They're out of Nevada. Somehow, God allowed it for us to be able to get them here they're coming here, and they're, they're awesome, great. I love them. I listen to them all the time. July 18th, 7 o'clock. So we have a month to promote this. Walnut Creek is going in with us and co-sponsoring it. We have a bunch of these flyers out there that Mike made. They look great. Give them to as many people as you know because this concert will be a concert you will not want to miss. We're going to throw a clip up here so you guys can get a taste of how great they are. I almost feel bad that we're going to sing and play after you guys hear how good they sound. Um, but this is something to get really excited about. Also, you know, I don't know, maybe I can do this. We want to um, put them up in hotels for a night. They're coming over from Omaha to a show. Anybody have uh, hotel points or anything that travels? Come talk to me because otherwise we will just pay for it. But it'd be nice if other people have points or something that they want to use towards uh, taking care of this band while they're here. It is well with my soul. It is well with my soul. God, there's people who are hurting this morning with life. There's people who are sad. There's people who are happy. There's people who have everything and yet their life's falling apart. There's people who have nothing and yet they rejoice in your name. Father, there's people who just can't figure out what's going on in their life right now. This is us. God, we come to you as we are right now. And because of Jesus Christ, we can say it is well, no matter what's going on in life. Because Jesus took all my sin, all my sorrow, all my shame upon him on the cross. I can say it is well. In my soul, in the deepest part of me, I'm okay. I'm saved, I'm secure, I'm loved by the God of the universe. God, we just want to rest in this moment in your presence. I pray healing for people who are hurting. God, may we break down those walls 
and the power of your spirit break down our walls, break down our strongholds, God. May we begin to let go of the idols in our lives that we hold on to. Thank you for your presence here. Thank you that two or three are gathered in the name of Jesus Christ. Give us rest in this place, in this time. We trust in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. You can have a seat. So in a moment, you're really gonna, you're gonna understand why the chairs are like this. Anybody um, more comfortable this week in church than normal? Raise your hand. More comfortable? Okay, good. We have a few. I like that. All right. Hopefully by the end of the, the, uh, the service today, you'll like this. You know, I like it. Of course, I don't have to sit there. I get to stand up here and uh, <laughs> be fine with it, you know. Um, but I am convinced, I'm 100% convinced that some of the greatest change comes out of some of the most uncomfortable and out of our comfort zone moments in our life. Is that true? When you're forced to get out of your comfort zone, some of the greatest change happens. Because we understand and we start to see that maybe what my life was wasn't the best, right? So I just wanted to make you a little uncomfortable. That's really all I wanted to do this morning. But this week, this was really interesting for me. This week, as, part, as, as far as preparing a message goes, it was normal, right? Because by Wednesday, I had the whole message written from the book of Genesis. We were going to keep going on. Um, and I, I wrote that whole message and uh, there's always this point that I get where I'm writing the message and it's like, yes, that's it. That's the thing that I need to tell them. That's the thing they need to know. That's where we're going, right? That just didn't happen this time. I was typing the message. I had a message typed up and it was like, eh, be all right. And I'm convinced. I need to be convinced of it. I need to be able to internalize it before I can communicate it to you, right? So I just never got to that place with the, with the message that I was preparing, right? And so usually on Thursday and Friday, I, I sit down and I start to pray through the message that is on the paper, and I start to practice it through and all that. So the last several weeks, God has really been building in me what I call holy discontentment. Okay, some of you knew what I meant right away. Some of you have no idea. But I, I, there's this rising holy discontentment in me, and it's not discouragement. Okay, it's not discouragement. I've been discouraged before. I've been discouraged with my own life before, and I've been discouraged with church life before. But this is not discouragement, because I thank God all the time, first for the, the miracle of this building. I thank God all the time for the miracle of, of two churches coming together as one. Um, I thank God all the time for the individual things that different pockets of people in this church are doing and, and what, who Creekside is and who you are. I thank God all the time for you, okay? Because I love this church and I love you. So it's not discouragement. But historically, in my own life, when God gives me a holy discontentment and I start to feel like something is off, but I can't pinpoint it. Historically, when that happens, God does not leave me alone until I do something about it, right? I don't know if it's the same way with you, but he just does not leave me alone until I do something about it. So I decided for this morning not to argue with him about that because usually I lose those arguments with God. Um, so today, what I'm going to bring up for you, I cannot give you any solutions, really, I can give you suggestions, stuff. I can't give you any solutions for what I'm about to say this morning. Um, but my goal by the end of the morning, within, in half an hour from now, is that you are just as discontent as I am. Okay? Sound good? All right? Come to church to go away discontent. That's my goal this morning. All right? So, this has been building up in me a lot lately. Um, and then... Wednesday night after Wednesday Waypoint, I was driving home, and I was listening to uh, Andy Stanley Leadership Podcast, okay? And he asked this question when we're trying to figure out what that thing is. You know, I got this, like, inside of me, and I'm trying to figure out what it is. He asked this question, okay? What do you see 
as near impossible in your church. But if it happened, would change everything. Think about that. What do you see as near impossible in your church? But if it happened, it would change everything. In that moment, when I heard that question, I knew. And I was convinced. Because I'm like battling, okay, is this, is this just a discontentment from Satan? Or is this from God? Or what? But I was convinced in that moment that this was this straight from God. And so I'm like, all right, I have to do something about this because he's not going to leave me alone. And I'm going to be, uh, discontentment will turn into frustration. And so here we are this morning. Also, in the last several weeks... I've been super convicted of my prayer life, my own personal prayer life, that the one part of my own Christianity that is lacking the most is prayer, okay? And here's what I believe about prayer. I I believe that we need to pray through our day, right? I believe it's important to wake up praying. I believe it's important to just lay out my day before God, right? And so we want to pray about all of the little things things that happen throughout our day. But here's what I also believe. I also believe that we need to pray things that are impossible for us to accomplish on our own. Because you know what happens when we start to pray for things that are impossible for us to accomplish on our own? That when God answers them, God actually receives the glory for the answer. Because if all I'm doing is praying for things that I can accomplish with the natural talents that God has given me, then That doesn't give much glory to God, does it? But if I'm praying for things that are impossible, then when God answers them, there's no possible way that I could take the glory for them. There's no possible way that I could say, eh, that wasn't that big of a deal. I have to thank God. I have to be on my knees. I have to be begging him to do the impossible. So, put those two things together, and I started praying about this holy discontentment if in me, and after conversations with my wife, with my mentor, with Kim, uh, with our Friday morning men's group, um, I sat down and I just completely rewrote the message. Right, um, so I still have the message that. So if this goes south, I'll just switch. All right, <laughs> but I still have that message. But I sat down, and I re- rewrote. I know this is a departure from our every week. Genesis thing, but again, if I don't do something about this, you all are going to reap the wreak the havoc of my disorientation if I don't say something here. Okay, so, um, but I also prayed through that, and uh, I have a plan to catch us back up next week in Genesis, and we'll be right back on track. So, don't get all <clears throat> in a wad about that. All right, don't don't be afraid of that. This is what I want to do this morning. I want to answer that question. What? is near impossible, but if it happened in our church, it would change everything. Now, here's the deal. There's probably several answers to that question. You may be thinking one thing right now. It's different than what I'm thinking. There's several answers to that question, but this is really the thing that God won't leave me alone about. This is not an attempt to change the way we do church. This is not an attempt to change any of our structures. This is not an attempt to change any of our programs. This is an attempt to change the way that we think as the church of God, right? Because we can come and do church, do church, do church, do church. But what needs to change is the way that we think as the church, okay? If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you are the church, okay? The church is not this building. I'm grateful for this building, but this isn't it, right? It's all going to burn. The seats that you're sitting in, they're going to burn. Our homes, they're going to burn. Our money, it's going to burn. Everything that we have, it's going to burn. So the church has to become about the people, right? So I want you to turn in your Bibles to Acts 2. This is where this discontentment comes from. So as I read these passages, I want you to think about what your church experience is from a week-to-week basis, okay? Because for myself, I know I can go from Sunday to Sunday and see not very many of you, right? Because some people show up on Wednesday night, some people don't. 
Sometimes we do lunch together during the week, sometimes we don't. We just don't see each other. So it's Sunday to Sunday. But I want you to, as you hear these passages, think about it in the context of your own church experience. So Acts 2, verse 42 to 47. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. And then go over to chapter 4, verse 32. Chapter 4, verse 32. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. But they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many were owners of lands and houses, sold them, and brought the proceeds of what was sold, and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, A Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. And then, in Proverbs 27, 17, it says, As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Do you ever get that gut feeling that what you are currently experiencing is not even the tip of the iceberg? That there is so much more. There is so much more. I want you to imagine this. Even close your eyes. I want everybody to close your eyes just for a moment, okay? Just close your eyes. Imagine this. If every single time in this church someone needed help, someone else from this church community answered that call. Whenever someone was sick, every time someone was sick, others in our church dropped what was going on in their life to go care for them. Every time someone was depressed, hurting, needed accountability, was rejoicing, needs something fixed, is having a rough day with their kids, struggling with their marriage, someone shows up from this church. Somebody shows up every single time. Someone's doing yard work. And they call for someone uh, from this community to do it with them. A mom and kids are going to the park and invites another mom and kids along. There's a death in the family, a loss of a job, financial need, and on and on and on and on and on. But the point is that every single time there is a need in someone in this church, it never goes unmet. Because someone from this church community answers the call. Here's my discontent. You can open your eyes. Unless you are sleeping. You can just keep doing that if you want. Here's my discontent. When I look at scripture, when I read passages like that, this is, I'm not seeking for our church to emulate and do it exactly like they did it in the book of Acts. Because our culture is different, right? It's not going to look exactly like that. But when I read that, it screams to me that there is so much more than what I am currently experiencing as the church of God. It screams that to me. There's something more to this community called the church than we are doing or have allowed ourselves to do. And here's the deal. It's my discontent, so it means I need to work on it more than anyone, okay? So I'm not just saying this to you. I'm saying I have no idea what this looks like, all right? But I know that there's more. I know that caring for each other in the church goes far beyond what I've experienced so far. All right? So, as you hear the rest of this message, let's dedicate to each other 
that we're going to figure this out together. All right? We're going to go on from here, and we're going to step into the scary zone and the uncomfortable zone, put ourselves out there and figure this thing out together because we need each other. I need you. You need me. You need the person sitting next to you, in front of you, and behind you. Okay? You need everybody in this room because we are the church. In different parts of our church, we see uh, things happening on a small scale, like the Shens group. Somebody tell me, Larry, what, what, what ages are the Shens group? Are they, ooh, I don't know. They're not in it. They're not in it. Just tell me what the, what are the ages? 60, 60s to 80-ish, okay? Yeah, they, they've, that's the point. They used to be the 20s, the 30s, and they've stayed together through all this, okay? That is one of the groups at this church that impresses me the most. You know why? Because on Friday, I was in here. I think it was Friday, right, Larry? You guys went to um, Winterset? And the Shens all met here, and they were, I was already thinking along this, this, this way of being impressed with that group. Um, but then Larry comes in. I was like, where are, you, where are you guys going? They're going to Winterset. And so we started talking about this this topic, and he starts telling me about just this. In that group, when somebody gets sick, boom, people are there before they've even told people they're sick. I mean, like, how does that happen, right? Every time someone gets sick in that group, somebody shows up. Every time somebody needs help at their house, somebody shows up, right? That group's a close-knit group. That group is being the church to each other. I'm impressed by that. Right? And so they just went on Friday to hang out together and eat pizza, right? And look at beautiful bridges, right? It's not my thing, but someday maybe I'll do it with one of them, you know? <laughs> By the end of this message, you're all going to be convinced to go look at covered bridges with the Shens, okay? That's what we're doing. We've got the Young Wives group, who I can tell you this every time Heather is in disarray, she sends a text to that group, right? Because they care for each other. She knows she's going to get cared for. She sends a text to that group and boom, for the rest of the day, 85 texts later, they've had a conversation. This is how women are. Men are like, deal with it, get over it, we're done. All right? We've got small groups and some community happens there, but I'm convinced there could be more. Right? We've got one small group. Um, serving a widow every Monday night. We've got one small group reaching out to the Burmese people. Once in a while, people from our church have lunch together. They have people over to their homes um, for dinner. And a few couples, a few couples, a few couples do everything together, right? That happens in places in our church. We plan some social events like tomorrow night and like 4th of July, and some people will show up. I mean, not the whole church will show up. It's just the thing. Not everybody's going to show up, right? But imagine if all of this kind of stuff, okay, this is the one thing, that if this changed, it would change everything, okay? Imagine if this kind of attitude and this kind of stuff happened across the entire church. And I'm not talking about, I mean, you are sitting next to probably who you usually sit next to, correct? Somewhat of that, because you're not, not normal, but somewhat of that, Okay? Everybody walked in here. I saw so many people look at this and go into turmoil mode, all right, and be like, where in the world am I going to sit? My seat does not exist right now, and so i got to find the most comfortable spot for me, right? We, we seek to be comfortable, right? But I'm half tempted to make y'all move again. I'm not going to do that, all right? But imagine... If no matter where you sat, you were sitting next to somebody that you've helped. You were sitting next to somebody that you've cried with. You were sitting next to somebody that you've laughed with. You're sitting next to somebody that you have gone through the hardest times in life with. I'm convinced if this changes, it'll change the tra trajectory of our church. It'll change your church experience. And it'll change how many people begin to get saved from Creekside Church. Not because of us, but because of what God is doing here, right? I'm convinced that that'll happen. So here's a big question. Assuming that God's plan A for the salvation of the world is the church, which it is, okay? The church sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with all men, women, and children around us. Assuming that's plan A. Mixed with, I want to read to you a, a, a verse from John 13, 1334. 
a new, this is Jesus talking to his disciples, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. By this, by this, one thing, by this, all people will know that you are my, are my disciples if you love one another. You see the church being different from the rest of the world in the way that we love each other unconditionally. And here's what's weird about the church, okay? Normally, people hang out with their age groups. People hang out with the people that they have most in common with, okay? But here's what's true about the church. Here's what can be different about the church. We hang out with everybody. Across generations, we spend time together. Across generations, we learn from each other, right? Across preferences, we are, are loving each other, right? So, when the church becomes different from the rest of the world in this way, in the way that we love each other unconditionally, that's the one thing that's going to identify us as followers of Jesus to the rest of the world. Do we get that? It's not our morality. I've said this before, but my life could end up looking a lot like my unsaved neighbor. It's not our morality. It's not that we don't do things that we shouldn't do, right? Even though there are some things that we shouldn't do, but that's not the thing. The thing that is gonna identify us as followers of Jesus is when people look at this community of people and they're able to say, y'all are weird, but that's awesome. All right? We're afraid of being weird to the world. Let's be weird to the world. All right? When we become different from the world, that's when the world is able to look in and say, you're weird, but that's awesome. And I want that. I want that. My job, my hobbies, my family, all these things are important, right? But at some point, we cross the line and they become idols, right? I can name multiple times in my life when I've made a decision that was maybe the wrong decision, my family became my idol, right? We hear all the time that pastors don't want to put ministry before family, what if it's not about ministry before family? What if it's my family is my first ministry and we're going to do ministry together with all of God's people, right? I can't think of a better way for my kids to learn what it means to follow God than to watch dad and mom love on people. And they get to be a part of that with me, right? Our culture says, okay, your house is yours, protect it. Your money's yours, protect it. Your cars are yours, your time is yours, you're an individual, you can, you can, you can, you can, you can. Go get it, right? Go do what you want to do, right? Here's what has to change. We have to change from that to this. My house is not mine. My stuff is not mine. My cars are not mine. My time is this is huge. My time is not mine. My schedule is not mine. Everything that I've been given, even the breath of life in my lungs, is from God. God knows every single little minute thing about me, and he knows, he knows every single minute thing about my future that I worry about. It's none of it's mine, right? It's all God's, and he asks us to share it with generosity with all his people, right? He asks us to share it with generosity with all people, right? This isn't foolishness, all right? It's not foolishness, it's godly wisdom. I heard this last night, that stewardship is not a part of the Christian life, stewardship is the Christian life, right? That everything that we have has been given to us by God only for the purpose of furthering his kingdom, right? We don't think like that. We don't think like that. This is crazy, uncomfortable, and scary, 
right? It's just weird. It's weird to do this kind of thing. It's uncomfortable and scary, but I'm convinced if we as a church, if we as Creekside Church work on this together, it's going to change everything. And then it's eventually going to begin to bleed out into the world around us. And by this, okay, by this, the way that we love each other here at Creekside Church, people are going to start to be saved and God's going to give us evangelistic growth like we've never experienced before. I'm convinced of it. Because all we're saying is let's stop doing church. We can keep doing the things we're doing, but let's stop doing church and start thinking differently as the church. One guy in my Friday morning men's group, he said this, that he and most of us, and I was there with him, are really, really, really good at compartmentalizing our lives, right? And here's the deal. The church is the family of God. And the fam- but for most of us, the family of God is separate from our own family, and it's only a part of, it's only a segment of our life, because what do we do, right? We have church events, it's on our calendar, we show up on Sunday, we don't see most of the people in this room until next Sunday, right? We might talk to a few here and there, okay? It's a segment of our life, but I'm convinced that it needs to intertwine with every single piece of my life. There was a day in this culture in America, where especially in small towns, church was like at the center of culture, right? It was like in a small town, everybody goes to church. 10.30 on Sunday morning, you show up to church and it was small enough that everybody knew if you weren't there, right? So they come knocking on your door, they hunt you down, and uh, they say, why weren't you at church, okay? I understand, there's probably a lot of guilt involved with that, right? But beyond that, the church drove the culture, There was a time when that was true. It's not true anymore. Now what's true is the church has been pushed in extreme ways to the margins of society. Right? That's where we live. But guess what? Acts 2.42, that's exactly what it was. The church was not the center of culture. The church had been pushed to the margins of society. So guess what? Let's not fight that. Let's look at what is the church supposed to look like. It's not supposed to look like programs, even though programs are fine and good, right? That's not what the church comes down to. The church comes down to all of the people living as the church on the margins of society, right? We care for people in such a weird and bizarre way that people on the outside can't help but look inside and say, that's different, that is awesome. That's amazing. Some people are not going to say it's awesome. Some people will say you're weird and stop there. But is that okay with us? Right? Is that okay with us? Nowhere in scripture, nowhere, if you could find it, show it to me. Okay, not right now, but after we, actually you could show it to me right now. If you could find it, where scripture says that Sunday morning average attendance is our measure of a healthy church, show it to me. It's not there. It's not in scripture, okay? Here's the deal. We want our church to grow. We want more people to come and worship with us on a Sunday morning. We want to outgrow this room. We want to build a a new worship center. We want to build a gym. We want to keep going and going and going. But why do we want all those things to happen? Because we want to see the power of God at work to save souls. And it becomes, again, all about the mission of God. It doesn't become, I have, we, we, we go to a huge church, this is awesome. No, it's all about the mission of God. Our Sunday morning service, trust me, our Sunday morning service, what is available in Des Moines, our Sunday morning service is not going to be the thing that draws people to this church. I'm telling you, we have a sweet band, they have sweet voices, so this isn't against you guys. We have all right preachers, you know? But I promise you that Sunday morning is not going to be the thing that draws people to this church, all right? It's not just get the people in the door, all right? Tim's preached this before. Invite somebody to your home before you invite them to church, 
right? Sunday morning is only one of the things that we do. But we don't have a lot of money, so lights and entertainment are not going to happen, right? People aren't, aren't going to stay for that. People need to be drawn to the gospel. But we want people to be drawn to this community and see how awesome it is. Because honestly, a lot of times people are going to respond to how you act before they respond to what you believe. It's the way people are, right? Our culture in America points us in exactly the opposite direction. You hear that? So as soon as you leave this room today, you're going to be pointed in exactly the opposite direction. Every part of our culture points us in the opposite direction. Right? So, this is weird. We need the culture of our church. Okay. Try something here. Are you nervous? No. <laughs> okay. Wrong guy to try this on, Jason. Just don't sit there, Bob says, okay? Because we get nervous about stuff that makes us uncomfortable. But I'm convinced that this is only a shell of a place that needs to be the training grounds for us to get used to something else. You know why we do church the way we do it? Because the culture outside dictates what we're comfortable with. And we've grown so comfortable with individualism that even inside the church that should look totally different, we're individuals. My home is my home, my stuff is my stuff, my time is my time, and you are in the way, right? And so we find a way not to be there for each other, right? But imagine if Creekside Church, for all of us in this room, could become the training grounds to get us used to something else. That we live communities so well at Creekside Church, across generations, across preferences, as one body of Christ. We do that so well that as we go out, we're, so, we're more used to sharing our lives with the people in this room that it begins to bleed out into the world around us. And when that happens, God, I am convinced, is going to ignite this place with evangelistic growth. I'm convinced of that. I'm convinced if this changed, everything would change. What does this look like? I was talking to Kim about this on, on Thursday, and she's like, okay, okay, okay. What do we do with this? What do we do on Sunday? You just ramble off a bunch of nonsense to me. Now what do I do with it? Right? This past, here we go with what do we do with it. This past week I was uh, having coffee with Matt Deaver. He was um, a youth under Kyle. Kyle led him to the Lord, I believe. And then he just went evangelistically nuts. I mean, he just was telling everybody to breathe about Jesus. Right? And him and his wife, actually on the 28th, they're going to be here to do a little presentation. And we're going to have um, a lunch after that and all that stuff. But... Um, they're going to Nepal uh, as missionaries. And so I was asking him, I was sharing kind of this, this thing inside of me that I'm feeling. And I was just asking him, so you've experienced both cultures. How do you, how did you, when you lived, they used to live in the Drake community. I asked him, how did you, when you lived here, do this? Right? How did you live out community of the church? Um, and he said that they made a conscious choice. The three nights out of every single week, they would open their home up for someone from their church community or their actual community, right? Extreme? I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe it is. I want to read uh, some excerpts from this book. I read this book. It's called Everyday Church. Um, I read it months ago. And I think maybe that this is to blame for this holy discontent in me. Um, because it really connected a lot of just that feeling of there's got to be more with what's in Scripture. 
right? And when that happens, you just got to do it. You got to follow the Spirit's lead on that. So I'm going to read some some excerpts from that book. And if you want to borrow this, you can borrow it. I only have one copy, but you can get it on Amazon, all that stuff. But you can borrow it from me if you want to. So listen to these. This is kind of the how behind what I'm talking about. Trying to match the world begs the question, if the church is like the world, then why bother with the church? The more we become like the world, the less we have to offer. Certainly we want to avoid unnecessary offense and an off-putting experience, but what will draw people to the church is always going to be what is different about us. Programs are what we create when Christians are not doing what they are supposed to be doing in everyday life. We are not against meetings or events or even programs. The regular meeting of the church around God's people is vital for the health of everything else. This is where God's people are prepared for the works of service. But the works of service take place in the context of everyday life. Okay? They're not reserved for this building. Okay? And here's the evangelistic component to this. We want to build relationships with unbelievers, not in church buildings where we feel comfortable, but on their territory. We also want to introduce people to the network of relationships that make up the believing community so that they see Christian community in action. People are often attracted to the Christian community before they are attracted to the Christian message. So our approach to mission should involve three elements. One, building relationships. Two, sharing the gospel message. Three, including people in community. And then this next part, this was very, very helpful to me as I started to struggle with this in my mind and still trying to figure this out. Think of all the activities. I want everybody to do this activity. If you don't have to write it down, but I want you to mentalize this, okay, if that's a word. Think of everyday activities, okay, how every, however mundane they are, like brushing your teeth. I don't know. <laughs> Never mind, brushing your teeth might not be a good one, but... <laughs> However mundane they are, I want you to think of two categories, okay? Just begin to compile a list in your head. My daily routine and my weekly routine, okay? My daily routine and my weekly routine. You should have a long list of activities. For each one, ask whether you could do the following, okay? So this is not going to be, this is not all going to happen right now. I want you to go do this this week, okay? Daily routine, weekly routine. For each one of those things on the list, I want you to ask if you could add one of the following. Number one, a community component by adding another member of your Christian community to it. Right? That's kind of scary. It's kind of out of my way. That's kind of inconvenient. But I want you to think in that direction. Okay? Number two, a missional component by involving an unbeliever. If you're doing something in your everyday life, in your daily routine or your weekly routine, can you involve an unbeliever in it? And then a missional component by involving, I mean a gospel component by identifying opportunities to talk about Jesus. I'll go even further with that. To pray for opportunities to talk to people about Jesus. Okay. This is what I'm not asking. I'm not asking for everyone to change their flow of life. I'm asking that we begin to try to invite someone else into it as often as we can. You get that? Do you see? If this changed, right? If this changed, it would change everything for us. I want to end with this. This is a quote from the author again. He says, I think of my own gospel community, a dozen or so people of all ages and backgrounds eating together on a Thursday night around the table, enjoying simple food yet relishing it as a gift from God, celebrating together what the Spirit has been doing in our lives, 
praying for the needs of our world and discussing how we can bless our neighborhoods in Christ's name. There are plenty of social groups in our neighborhood, but there is nowhere else where such a diverse people came together with the commitment to being family. It is a beautiful thing. So this is what we're going to do. We're going to start by rejoicing together. We understand that this, this coming together in here is for a couple reasons. Okay, We want to sing together. We want to praise God together. We want to give God glory together. right? But this is also the training grounds to do what? To train us for works of service. And so we've got to differentiate in our minds. Do those works of service happen when we walk through those doors? Or do they happen when we leave those doors? Right? This is only training ground. This is only training ground. Okay? And I know everything that I just said to you. You're thinking, that ain't going to happen. Because I see multiple generations sitting in this room. Some of you might not even know it, but there's a service that happens at 9 o'clock before this, right? Those doors open at 10 o'clock. What would it be like if when those doors open, young, old, preference for hymns, preference for this kind of music, contemporary music, didn't matter? Right? What if it didn't matter? Because I'm going to go and talk to these people. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go put myself in an uncomfortable situation on purpose. Why? Because I'm convinced that the mission of God is far better and far beyond my comfort zone. Right? I don't know if I'm getting through. Imagine if that happened. All right? Imagine if that happened. That you're regularly hanging out and having dinner with 80-year-olds and 80-year-olds with 20-year-olds and high school students with first-time parents and middle-aged people with first-time parents training them. I mean, you're having people over to your house that are not believers. Have somebody else from this community over there with you so they can see how you do it. In every single moment of your life, ask if you can involve somebody else from this community in it. If you're fixing something at your house, don't do it by yourself. If you're going to lunch, don't do it by yourself. If you're having dinner, talk to your spouse and see if you can have someone else over. Right? Right? And don't let it be the same people every time. This is what I'm talking about. If this changed, I think everything about this church would change. Again, this church isn't bad. I love it. But we want evangelistic growth, right? We want the world to look in from the outside and say, Creekside Church, they love each other. They love each other. The only reason we would ever do that is because of salvation. The only reason that sounds attractive on any level is because of salvation, right? We know that there's something more. But the only reason I would hang out with somebody that thinks differently than I do, the only reason I would hang out with somebody who has nothing in common with me is because we have Christ in common, right? I don't think we grab that. I, don't, I think we say it all the time. How cool is the church? We can hang out with people that we have in common. We have Jesus in common. We don't believe, we, we don't do that, do we? On a regular basis? No, we don't. But here's the deal. We have Jesus in common. So it starts here. These next moments where we're going to come and remember Jesus. We have the bread and the juice, symbols that Jesus himself gave us to say, I want you to remember the sacrifice that I made for you so that you could be free. Okay, and think of it in, this, in these terms. I want you to remember the sacrifice that I made for you so that you could be in community, so that you could love people that you otherwise wouldn't love, so that you can spend time with people that you otherwise wouldn't spend time with, right? And I'm with you in this.
okay? It is awkward for me, but we're going to do it together. Jesus, right, at the, right before the Last Supper, he got down and he washed his disciples' feet. Now, this role was reserved for the servant of servants, right? And Peter even said, no, you know, no way. You are not going to wash my feet. Right? And what did Jesus say? Unless I wash your feet, you have no part with me. If I wash your feet, the whole body's clean. What was he saying? I'm going to serve you. And then he said, I want you to go do the same thing. I want you to go serve other people. So what doesn't make sense to a lost world is when God's church says we are Jesus followers, but then they don't love each other. Right? But then they are not willing to pick up a dirty bucket and wash each other's feet. They're not willing to, to put the rag around them and wash each other's feet, right? By this, people will know you're my disciples if you love each other. So we're gonna start here. We're gonna rejoice in song together and we're gonna remember Jesus and let this launch us into this journey. I don't expect it to happen on a huge scale right when you leave this room. I expect it to happen over time. And we're going to continue to talk about it. We're going to continue to talk about it. We're going to continue to talk about it. God, I just pray that as we remember Jesus in these moments, that it, it was for eternal life that you died for us, but it was also that we would know eternal life and life abundant here on earth. That we would know what that is. And so I pray as we worship you now, God, that it would just well up inside of us that there is more at work here. We love you, God, and we need you. In Jesus' name, amen. When the mountains fall and the tempest roars, you are with me. When creation... First of all, this is the number one time that we're together in every... Everybody's together right now, right? So, first challenge is, unless you absolutely have to, don't leave right away. Hang around and talk to people, right? It's just a suggestion. Second thing is, I want you to go home this week and I want you to write down your daily routine and your weekly routine. And then figure out, ask God to give you opportunities to invite someone else from this community or the community that you live in into that, right? So let's sing this one last song together as a send out.